Amen. Well, would you uh, join me as we invite the Lord to help us this morning to understand and appropriate His Word. <clears throat> oh, gracious Father, as we just sang the, this wonderful, wonderful reality about Christ going to the cross and being buried in the grave and the, the tomb being sealed. And then on the third day, <clears throat> on the third day, He rose victorious over death over the grave, and over sin. Our sin that put Him there. And He is now seated at the right hand of You, Father. And He is speaking to You on our behalf. Every time the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, speaks a word of condemnation against us. He is there to speak those words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So Lord, we rejoice in this reality that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. So today we ask that you would teach us more about this reality. More about this forgiveness that is ours in Christ. May your Holy Spirit teach us and guide us into this truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, during the, the summer lull, between graduate school and studies, and a pastor of a small town church had outlined his sermons for the coming fall. And at the end of August, he submitted the sermon titles for each week, all the way until Christmas, to the local newspaper to be printed each week. At the beginning of September, the church Sunday school uh, superintendent requested that the pastor recognized and installed the teachers during that Sunday morning service. He agreed to do so, but went on to tell the superintendent that he had already outlined his sermons for the year, and, and he wouldn't be able to change that at this late notice, and, and, which was fine um, by, the, by the superintendent. And so he, the pastor, sent notice to the, to the, uh, the newspaper that that particular Sunday they would be installing those uh, Sunday school teachers. So a few days before that Christian Ed Sunday, the newspaper reported this. The coming sun this coming Sunday, the Sunday school teachers of the Oxford Church will be recognized and installed. Reverend Eversall's special sermon for this occasion is entitled, Father, Forgive Them, for They Know Not What They Do. Well, it certainly might be true that those, some of those teachers didn't know what they were doing. But obviously this was a misunderstanding as it was printed in the newspaper and the way that it came across. And of course that sermon 
title came from the words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. In fact, there were seven different things that Jesus said that we have recorded for us, at least, in the Bible, that Jesus spoke as he was hanging on the cross for those six hours before he gave his life up at the end of that time. And over the next several weeks, actually a couple of months, we're going to be taking a look at those different sayings Jesus spoke on the cross as we prepare for the grand celebration of Jesus' resurrection, His rising from the dead in April on Easter Sunday. And as we look at these different sayings of Jesus from the cross, we learn something about Jesus in each of these statements. We also learn as we see Jesus for who He is, we also learn how are we supposed to respond to Him. How are we to live our lives in light of the fact that that's who He is. So this morning we begin in Luke chapter 23. I invite you to open your Bibles if you haven't already. Luke chapter 23 with this first of seven sayings. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and read, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 33 to 38 of Luke 23. And when they came to the place called the skull. Place that is known as Mount Calvary or Golgotha. This place called the skull. There they crucified him. And criminals, one on his right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And so here we find the first thing that Jesus spoke after being hung on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The question that I think needs to be asked is, who are the them that Jesus is talking about? Who is it <coughs> But Jesus once forgiven. When he said to the Father, Father, forgive them. For obviously they don't know what they're doing. Now, in one sense, they knew what they were doing. They were nailing nails into the hands and feet of a man, and they were hanging him on a cross to be killed. But in another sense, they had no idea who he was. Or what it was they were participating in from an eternal perspective. So Jesus is asking the Father to forgive them. And so who is it that Jesus is asking forgiveness for? The answer that makes the most sense is 
those who participated in his crucifixion. Right? And so Jesus is forgiving or forgave those who participated in his crucifixion. He has to forgive them in his own heart, and he is asking the Father to do the same. He's making a petition. J.C. Ryle, in his comments on this section, says this about Jesus in, in this petition, and we can learn about him. He says, He is, in his own racking agony of body, did not make, uh, I'm sorry, he says, His own racking agony of body did not make him forget about others. Here is Jesus in the most agonizing moment in his earthly human time on earth. And yet, in the midst of this, Jesus is concerned about other people. He says the first of his seven sayings on the cross was a prayer for the souls of his murderers. His prophetical office had just been exhibited by a remarkable prediction because we know earlier Jesus told his disciples more than once that he would have to be delivered up into the hands of the, the priests and the, and the rulers and, and be crucified. And so Jesus predicted what was going to happen. And then he goes on to say his kingly office was about to exhibit soon by opening the door of paradise to the penitent thief, which we'll look at in a few weeks. His priestly office he now exhibited by interceding for those who crucified him by stating, Father, forgive them. The fruits of this wonderful prayer will never be fully seen until the day when the books are opened and the secrets of all hearts are revealed. We have probably not the least idea of how many of the conversions to God at Jerusalem, which took place during the first six months after crucifixion, were the direct reply to this marvelous prayer. Perhaps this prayer was the first step toward the penitent thief's repentance. Perhaps it was one means of affecting the centurion who declared of our Lord, he is a righteous man. Perhaps the 3,000 converts on the day of Pentecost foremost, it may be at one time among our Lord's murders, owned their conversion or owed their conversion to this very prayer. Only the day will declare it. There is nothing secret that shall, be that shall not be revealed. This only we know, that the Father hears the Son always. We may be sure that this wonderful prayer was heard. He says, let us, let us also see in our Lord's intercession for those who crucified him one more proof of Christ's infinite love to sinners. The Lord Jesus is indeed more pitiful, more compassionate, and more gracious. None are too wicked for him to care for. None are too far gone in sin for his almighty heart to take interest about their souls. So, who was it? that was responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. Who was it that participated in it? Well, first of all, we know those who were present at Calvary, right? We just read about them. People that were standing around and not doing anything to prevent this from happening. We have those who were dividing up his garments and casting lots, probably some of the soldiers. 
We have those rulers who are sneering at him and saying, hey, if you are who you say you are, save yourself if you're the Christ of God. You have the soldiers mocking him and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. You got these people who are present there in that moment who are nailing his hands and feet, who are sneering at him and, and making fun of him. Certainly, they're responsible. But they're not the only ones. And they're not the only ones I believe Jesus prayed for that day. What about those who delivered him up? You turn back to Matthew, one, one book before uh, Mark, a couple before Luke. You find in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, we read these words, and one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Or literally, it says, to deliver him up. Then you go to chapter 27 of Matthew. Verse 1 and 2. When the morning had come, morning of Jesus' crucifixion. The morning had come. All the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and they led him away and delivered him up to Pilate the governor. And then you have verses 25 and 26 of that same chapter. And all the people answered as Pilate was saying, I find no guilt in this man. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him up to be crucified. So you've not only got the people who were there that day participating in the events of those six hours, but you've got those who were responsible all the way back to Judas who delivered him up to the priest, the priest who delivered him up to, uh, to Pilate, to Pilate who delivered him over to be crucified. They're all guilty. None of them knew fully what they were doing. And I think Jesus was praying for them. But there's more. <clears throat> because the scripture tells us Christ died for our sins. It was our sin that put him there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I delivered up to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Peter said he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Those who have committed sin are participating in his crucifixion. That would be you and that would be me. Because he bore our sins. 
because of our guilt. It was that that put him there. And so Jesus' forgiveness extends to not just those who were participating literally in that moment, not just to those who, who were responsible for getting him there, but for all of us who have sinned. It was our sin that put him there. And so that forgiveness extends to each of us. But we also need to understand while the Bible clearly holds us guilty and responsible for Christ's death, it is also very clear that this was God's plan and purpose. Jesus was not a victim of circumstances. He didn't just get swept up in a, an angry mob that, that was convincing Pilate to go through with something that Pilate did not want to do. Because in Romans chapter 8, in verse 32, we are told that he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God the Father delivered him up for you and me. It was God's plan and purpose to do so. In fact, it was God's plan from, the be from even before the foundations of the world. And Jesus even takes responsibility. Because Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who did what? Who delivered himself up. For me. You see, the Bible uses the very same word every time. Judas delivered him up. The priest delivered him up. Pilate delivered him up. God delivered him up. Jesus delivered himself up. When we think about Jesus' crucifixion, Yes, there is responsibility to go around to all of us. And we are guilty and we need to be forgiven. But we must also understand God had a plan. Why did God plan to send His own Son to be delivered up? Why did Jesus deliver Himself up? Because we needed it. Because His love accomplished this. Because God could not just say, well, you know what? They don't know what they're doing. They don't, they're not completely uh, understanding all that's going on. Therefore, I'll give them a pass. It doesn't work that way with a holy God. Sin demands a punishment. And a holy God cannot overlook sin. Therefore, He sent one to take our place. And Jesus willingly took that, took that place for us. And that's why we come to the second main point, and that is that Jesus' sacrifice is what provides forgiveness to us. We, we have such a misunderstanding of forgiveness in our world today, in our minds. We don't understand that in God's God's economy, 
There's not just a looking past things. There has to be a punishment. Justice has to be served. And it is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that provides that justice. If we don't understand that, first of all, we won't understand our own salvation. Secondly, how on earth are we going to be able to, to be Christ's witnesses and share the gospel with people if we don't understand this? We've got to understand this was necessary because the Scripture tells us that our iniquities have separated us from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, the prophet Isaiah says, um, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it can't save. Neither is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It is our sin that stands between us and God. That's simple. And our sin has separated us from him. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Death is separation, as we talked about the last couple weeks. It's what separates us. It's separation. Soul and the body at physical death. A soul from God and spiritual death. And when that physical body dies in a spiritually dead state, that soul is, is separated from God Almighty forever in torment and pain in a place the Bible talks about as Hades, hell, and ultimately a lake of fire, a place of, of burning, of, of darkness, of black, pitch darkness, of, of ultimate separation from God. That's the punishment for sin. And our iniquities have brought that separation. <laughs> but the reality is that God had a plan from the very beginning to take care of this. And in the fullness of time, sent His Son here to do that for us. And this is what the Scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, referring to God the Father, made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us or on our behalf. Isn't that incredible? Jesus became sin for us. Martin Luther made the statement in considering this, which sounds like a heretical statement, he said Jesus was the greatest of all sinners. And what he meant by that was that Jesus took on all of our sin on himself when he hung on the cross. Jesus, of course, and Martin Luther understood this, never committed sin on his own. But Jesus took on sin your sin and mine. He became sin for us. And he experienced the punishment that we deserve because of it. Again, the prophet Isaiah says this, in words that many of us are very familiar with. Isaiah 53, 4-6. Surely our griefs <clears throat> he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Why? Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He became sin for us. And as he hung on that cross, I can't explain this theologically, but he, for the first time in all of eternity, there is God the Father, God the Son, have always been in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship for the first time in all of eternity. There was something happened there. A separation. Because Jesus took on all of our sin and experienced the just punishment of a holy God on our behalf. Why would he do that? Would you do that for somebody? Would I do that for somebody? Only, only pure love could motivate somebody to do this. Because Jesus, no matter what, he was experiencing, was thinking about us. When he hung on the cross and experienced physically excruciating pain, his mind was on those who were responsible for it. When Jesus experienced infinitely more than that, when the Father poured out his wrath upon him, he was thinking of you and me. He was doing it for us. And he took it all for himself, on himself. So that we are told then, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, which is a parallel passage to what we looked at in the last couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter 2, which we are told that when we are in Christ, when we put our faith in Christ and receive the gift that was accomplished by Jesus on our behalf, by His grace, we didn't deserve it, He gave it to us, we receive it by faith. When that happens, we are made alive together with Christ, we are seated with Christ, and we are are raised up with Christ, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's our position. Paul says, in essence, the same thing, but adds something to it that I think is really important for us to ponder. And that is, he says in 13, uh, second, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. In Christ, we are fully forgiven. Do you believe that? Oftentimes, we believe it in our head. <clears throat> Do we believe it to the point that we live as if that's really true? David said, as far as the east is from the west, and so 
Psalm 103, so far as he removed our sins from us. There is no, there is no end to east and west. There's a north pole and there's a south pole, but there's no east pole and there's no west pole because it continues on forever. And that was the point. There is no limit to the forgiveness of God. Here's what we need to understand. There are so many people who are living their lives who do not believe they can be forgiven. They don't believe it. Because they know what they've done. They know what's in their past. They know what things they have done. They know what they have said to other people or about other people, what they've done to people. And they believe that they can never be forgiven. Many of them have said, there's no point in going to church because I've had somebody tell me this one time. If I walk in that church, the Lord's going to strike it with lightning. true story. This was many years ago. We were still down in the basement. One of those people walked in the door, and I got up not knowing that she was thinking this. She told me afterwards. And I had to, had to give the announcement that our chimney got hit by lightning. <laughs> she told me after, she said, I told my husband, if I walk through that door, that, that church is going to get hit by lightning. It had been hit before she walked in, which was good. But God, God is, is, is funny this way because it then gave me an opportunity to talk with that person about it. Whether or not she ever fully embraced that, I, I don't know because she decided to part, part ways pretty quickly after that. But A lot of people out there that are behaving in ways that you and I will look and say, I can't even understand a person who lives that way. I, I don't even want to enter a relationship with somebody who, who talks like that or lives like that. I don't even know how to, how to build that bridge. Know this, that many of those people, maybe not all of them, but many of those people are acting out what they believe in their heart. And that is, I might as well just live however I want because there's no hope for me. Because I've, I'm gone. I'm too far gone. And if you and I are ever going to take that message to them, we've got to be convinced of it ourselves. And I don't know if you're sitting here today and you think that, or watching online today and you're thinking, man, I, there's no hope for me. There's hope for you according to the Scriptures. If we believe this is God's book, then it says that He has forgiven us all of our transgressions. Jesus Christ accomplished this. If I say or you say that I can't be forgiven, what you're saying is Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. I don't know how much more I, you know, it, the Scripture can be clear on that, but it is. But we have to believe it by faith. And we bring then, we bring our sin before Him and lay it at the cross. You might not be convinced yet, but you step up and you say, okay, Lord, if, if this is really true, and I'm not sure it is, but I want to believe it, I'm going to lay it down at the, at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to believe you because, because I, I'm pretty sure you're, this is your word. And I don't, 
think it's telling me lies. And so I, I really want to believe this. And, you know, help me as the, as the man whose son was demon-possessed and Jesus came off the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Jesus said, he can be healed. Believe. And he said, help me with my unbelief. We can just say, Lord, help me with my unbelief. I want to believe this, but I'm not sure I really do. And God can handle that. And he lay it down. And by the authority of God's word, we are forgiven. And there are some Christians who, right, they, they, they believe Christ for their eternal salvation, be forgiven of their sin, but man, they really have a hard time believing God can forgive their little sins that they struggle with on a regular basis. And so they say, you know what, I'm just going to hide them from everybody else, and I'm just going to pretend like everything's okay. But I know I got this crap in my life, but because I can't seem to overcome it, I'm just going to pretend it's not there, I'm going to keep it hidden, I'm just going to go around with a smile on my face. But you will never have victory in your life. You will never experience a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus without coming before him with those things and putting into practice what John said in 1 John 1, 9, and that as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise to believers. So we come and we lay it down before him. And we by faith believe that through that confession, God will take that and he will cleanse me because Jesus has already paid for that sin and he will wash me clean. And then like Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. We get up and we walk in that, in that forgiveness and the newness of life and we, we walk in repentance of that. Changing our mind and changing our attitude and changing our actions. And if you need help because it's, a, it's become addictive in your life, Find a, if you're a man, find another brother, a godly man who can hold you accountable. You can, be, you can trust that with. Or a woman with another godly woman and trust that, that thing that you've been hiding. Be, be vulnerable enough to say, this is a struggle in my life. This is what, and I need God's uh, forgiveness and I need help to, to keep me accountable not to continue living this way. We're here for each other. That's why God has established the body to be there for one another. Not just so we can gather on Sunday morning and we join our voices so it sounds nice when we sing. But so that we can really walk beside each other. And put into practice the reality of what Christ accomplished for us. See, the truth about Jesus that this tells us is that Jesus is a forgiving God. He really is. And he offers it. He's already accomplished everything that has to be done to, to forgive you and me. And now he says, take it. All hard work is done. Receive it by faith. And trust me. Next week, we're going to look at, because this issue of forgiveness is just too much to cover in one, one sermon. We're going to talk about then what does it look like for us to live out not only being a forgiven person, but extending that. We need to understand forgiveness because there's such a misunderstanding about forgiveness. We're going to talk next week about what it isn't 
and what it is, according to the Scriptures, that Jesus is a forgiving God. Do we believe that? Would you stand as we conclude our service? Father God, we hear the words of Jesus when He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. I believe, Father, that that, that prayer extends to us here today. And Jesus accomplished the work through His death on the cross that provides the avenue which we can be forgiven. So, Father, you extend it to us. God, I pray. I pray for any in the hearing of my voice right now who have never experienced the forgiveness of God through Christ. That, God, that they would lay their, their sin at the feet of the cross. They would confess that before you. That they are a sinner and that sin has separated them from God Almighty. But that Jesus became sin on their behalf. That they might become the righteousness of God in Him. And God, help them with their unbelief. God, I pray that they do this, that they would tell somebody about it. That they would... They would find somebody who would rejoice with them in this newfound freedom, forgiveness, and someone who can help them grow in understanding it better through the Word of God and help them appropriate the truth of God's Word by faith in their life. And God, I pray for believers who are hearing this right now, who are, who are caught in sin, They would know they're not getting away with anything with you, Lord. You see it all. You've provided for them. You want them to lay it down, confess it before you, and receive the cleansing, the washing over them, the renewal that they can experience. And you want them to get up and sin no more, to abide in Christ, in a walk. And God, I pray again that they would find somebody to, to get in the Word of God together with. Because Lord, so often when we are caught in sin, the first thing that happens is we stop reading our Bibles. Because we just don't want to face that anymore. And God, that somebody that can hold us accountable to be in the Word consistently, to abide in Christ. And God, that we as believers would not hold anyone in our hearts and our minds with a judgmental attitude because we're all in this together. But God, that we would, by, by the, the grace that you've given us and the love that you've poured out in our hearts, we would extend that to one another. And we would welcome the opportunity to walk side by side. Because we all need accountability and help. So, Father, thank you for reminding us through the words of Jesus as He offered Himself willingly on the cross for our behalf. 
on our behalf. And God, would you work in us? And now to him who is able to do exceeding abundant beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, him be the glory in Christ, in the church, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.